と自然に会話できる最新のアンドエリカが3日報道に公開されました皆様はじめそして私は人と自然に対話するロボットの研究開発のためプラットフォームとして開発されたアンドロイドです名前はエリカです年齢は23歳です私の特技は人とお話しすることことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことことこの番組は、ポッドキャストで配信されています。ここで、ポッドキャストで配信されています。ポッドキャストで配信されています。ポッドキャストで配信されています。
Yes, yes, that's uh, my man JK47 with his awesome track Zion. Prior to that, it was Synaptics with Undercity 2, The Souk. And the beginning track was one of my Neon Vandal, Decadent Dreams, main titles. Let's keep going.
Okay, the three awesome tracks you've just been listening to were Vector 7 with Shirakawa Type 3, Neon Vandal with Megumi's Garden, and JK47 with The Red King. And now on Underground Hardware, I've been really looking forward to uh, getting these two guys on the show. These are the two directors of the multi-award winning Blade Runner inspired short film Slice of Life, winner of seven awards and eight nominations. Please welcome Luca Hergovic and Dino Julius to the show. How are you guys doing? Hey, hello. Yeah, Hi. we're good. Great. Um, really great to have you on the show. Um, now, I sat through this film, I think it was seven or eight times, and it is absolutely fantastic. And the fact that you've actually built this film with your bare hands and use practical effects and you know your parents garage to do all this absolutely brilliant i can't wait for it to go out on general release and uh most people to go out and see it so congratulations guys job well done thank you very much okay um now looking at um looking at the film um slice of life you can clearly see blade runner blade runner's influence on that film it's obviously the, the the main the main influence there i'm just wondering you two guys what it is 
What is it about Blade Runner that um, means so much to you? What What do you think its enduring appeal is? Um, obviously, the production design has influenced so much stuff in films and out in the real world as well, and obviously the music and the, and the, the just the effects and the themes. But what is it about Blade Runner that really, really still connects with people? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the obvious stuff are, of course, it's visually stunning and beautiful, of course, then the themes, you know, but you know what? Like after all this, no, I'm sorry. That's okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> after, all this, after all these years, like, creating our short film and watching Blade Runner so many times, I don't even know anymore, you know? It's just like, <laughs> I'm completely confused about it. <laughs> I mean, I still, I, I, I love it, of course, I watch it from time to time, but probably I would say it's just it's, it's the atmosphere you know I just like to return to that world and spend some time with Deckard you know hang out with him on the balcony those kind of stuff you know yeah I, I love uh, I love the melancholy yeah. Right? yeah and hopelessness um, because uh, it's quite powerful the feeling it evokes while watching it right mm. so right right this is obviously how many people these days feel sometimes right Mm -hmm. This is the the feeling you have. So, watching the film, it is it is it gives you a certain reality, but just a different setting, which is kind of dreamy. So it's it's an escape and uh, exactly also at the same time. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, watching watching Blade Runner over the years since I saw it in the mid '80s, it's just one of those films that's almost almost like like prophetic you know it actually showed you a lot of the things that have come to pass um, since that whole film came out you know it's really bluesy it's really it's really melancholic but it's just kind of a spirituality there um, and there's just so much detail in there and I'm not just saying it just because you're here but when I was watching your film the eight times I've seen it um, I can see that you know the, the the depth in in you know in the details there as well, and I think that's one of the things that keeps bringing people back. Um, and you know, there's just there's something a reality, but a not reality there that you can see. Obviously, it's science fiction, but there's enough things that you, that resonate with people now that you know that really really you know predicted what was going to what things were going to be like now and then I think you know in some respects they got it right nice to hear that yeah I mean we, we did put a lot of effort in exactly in those details you know in every shot so yeah I'm, I'm really glad that it comes out right yeah you can see you can see it, you've got it all on screen sorry go on uh, no, no I was just saying yeah we tried to, to make the visuals pretty much layered mm -hmm. there is always a new layer of depth and uh, details and yeah. um, uh, uh, props and you know like each shot was like a little painting for us exactly we took, we took time for each shot for quite, quite a lot of time i bet you did uh, well i've seen it eight times and i can assure you i'll be seeing another 10 before i'm done i guarantee that <laughs> <laughs> um one of the things um i was thinking when i was watching the film it's, and obviously, as I said, it, I've said it multiple times, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. I'm just wondering why, what was it about doing practical effects um, rather than going the CGI routes? Because obviously, um, and Blade Runner is, you know, it, it's what the last analog 
science fiction film and obviously it carries on the tradition of the the people who made all the Star Wars films, ILM, Doug Trumbull and all those guys. But I'm just wondering what was it that made you go that route? Was it was it was there some kind of financial imperative or was it just the love of making analog practical effects? No, it wasn't a cost thing at all. It was because uh, we had no money. So. <laughs> Either way, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, we we, um, we do commercials uh, professionally, right? TV commercials. So we use 3D uh, often, you know, and all kind, uh, you know, those kinds of effects. So we just wanted to try something different because we grew up on films from the 80s, obviously, right? And uh, we love those films like Star Wars, Aliens, you know, and stuff like that. So right. Blade Runner, of course. So we just wanted to try to create our film in a way that these guys used to do it, you know, in the 80s. Right. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people love miniatures and admire these kinds of effects, so it was like a really nice thing to try. Okay. That, that was like the idea from the start. Right, right. Um, I remember years ago, I remember seeing um, a, like a legendary guy, I can't remember for the life of me who it was, and he said, um, a really well done practical effect, will always outlast good CGI um, because it's actually in camera, it's something that's physically in that space. Um, you know, bad CGI and bad practical effects will always be bad, but uh, you know, both of those worlds, if the practical effect is done brilliantly, it'll always outlast um, you know, a computer-generated effect. So I'm wondering, so I'm assuming you were fans of films like Aliens and obviously Star Wars and um, obviously the guys who worked on those films like Doug Trumbull and um, yeah. those guys? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we have, we watched like a lot of the documentaries you know, about making of these films and there's a lot to learn in those mm -hmm. documentaries, like yes, you know, especially Star Wars, I mean that's that's very well documented because ILM, you know, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a huge company so there's a lot to learn from these guys. But it's also like, in a sense, it is a big honor for us to keep the torch <laughs> of all those previous films, of all the film history that came before us, right? right. To keep alive. Because running to CGI is just being part of something new, right? But uh, uh, giving respect to the, to the legends uh, 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 of film is something that that is quite uh, nice yeah right. it's a bit romantic yeah even though we're just two guys in a garage somewhere yeah uh, <laughs> it, it still feels kind of cool you know when you're when you do miniatures and stuff because, you know, because it's, yeah. against, nobody, it's against the it. grain the yeah, industry it's... is going cgi but we're just saying okay listen we're just going to honor here the film history we're trying to do that and to apply a little bit new stuff obviously mm. Uh, a few workarounds, but still keep the, the spirit alive. I mean, yeah. when you watch Quentin Tarantino films, that's the same thing he does. Yeah. He yeah. just wants to appreciate it. He wants to keep it alive. So, yeah, it's it's, it's the analog thing, though. I think it's it's the idea that you, you know you can feel. It's not a thing you can explain, but you can feel when somebody's actually built something, built models by hand. The effects are all done frame by frame put on the screen it's all put together you know with blood sweat and tears you can feel it you can you can look at something like that and you can't explain it but you can just feel it you can totally feel it yeah, yeah. totally totally um another thing when i was watching the documentaries and the supplementary stuff that you um, put on on youtube and the stuff you really kindly sent me the main thing i noticed was the 
you guys look like you had such fun making that film. You guys look like you had an absolute blast. Um, just as, as a group of friends, was it was it really that much fun making the film? No, we, we pretend in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> we're like we're like really down like this, and then like okay. Oh, hi, guys! Yes. <laughs> well, you hit your pain well. You hit your pain really well. Um, one of the other things um, I was thinking about when I was looking at all the props, uh, I mean, first thing I saw was the um, Shimago Dominguez um, ATM machine with the graffiti on it. I absolutely love that. I absolutely loved it. I wish I had that in my music room. Um, I was, But as I was watching the film, I was thinking to myself, what was what was the hardest prop for you to make? Because I would imagine there have been a few things there that were quite tricky to put together. So what was? What was the hardest thing you had to um, make for this film? People often ask those kind of questions and it's always hard to answer it because, you know, we did literally everything you see on screen uh, was at least altered in some way, right? Right. You know, so even, even the, like, I remember I was like a, one day in a city looking for the perfect pen uh, because our guy had to write something on the paper. You, you can't even see the pen in the movie in the end, right? But I spent like half a day looking for the futuristic sci-fi pen that I then I, I again modified just a little bit. So like, literally every prop was, uh, we did something uh, for every prop. So it's hard to say what which one was the difficult one because even even the, I don't mean, the, the ATM is big, right? Mm. It's really pretty big prop. But something like a gun that that uh, the guy carries is probably even much more complicated than than ATM, perhaps you know, because it has all the moving parts, mechanism, and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know. It's like, did you did you um, sorry did you actually build the um, the the blaster the the, the classic Deckard um, style blaster? You know the the one that he carries in Blade One. There's a replica one, but it had yellow lights in it. Did you actually build that yourselves? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's actually again a little, little, a little homage to the original Blade Runner right. because it's it's basically the same blaster that Deckard has, right? Just painted differently. But yeah, I, I kind of took some molds from the you know some other blaster that I, that I had and just you know did castings and stuff like that. So yeah, it was also handy for the film. We we had a couple of different versions. We had obviously the fine perfect model version for the close-ups close and yeah. then we had like a really shitty one just of uh, cardboard like for the throwing right around right punching yeah. By the <laughs> so. yeah i've heard uh, they used to have um rubber guns on on the blade run and they're charging an absolute fortune now um for people who have got like eight nine generation copies off off those original rubbish guns and it's you know they can sell them for fortune on ebay um, that kind of leads into my next question because um, looking at a film like that, I'm thinking to myself, you must have had to learn a few technical things that you weren't anticipating coming into this film. So were there any any kind of skills you had to pick up on the fly? Um, I don't know, like cake making or something that you had to um, put into practice on this film? Everything. Everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, because like in, in our professional work on, on TV commercials, um, we never did miniatures because uh, clients don't have, you, you never have the time to do it, right? They, you have to do quick effects, you know, so we always end up doing something on the computer. So this right. was completely new territory for us. We had to learn everything and it's it's, it's not as easy as it looks. Like our, our first tests look really, really crappy and we like, we failed, I don't know, 50 times before we you know, started having like a 
nice shots. Yeah, right. I mean, there, there is obviously the, the light scheme. Uh, you, you have to come up with a complete new light scheme because uh, lighting miniatures is completely different than doing the lights for real objects, for real rooms. Or, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it's something you had to learn from scratch. Right. Obviously, we started with that. And after a few tests, we figured, okay, we need to fix that on the miniatures. Mm. So it's a quite um, homogen. homogen. How do you say like um, a very, uh, a very uh, you know, binding process right. between the miniatures and the lights, and it comes together perfectly. It's like a, a harmony, right? So. Uh, you tweak a little bit the lighting, then you figure out, okay, we have to uh, do the miniatures a little better, right? right? Then you have to do the lights a little better. So it's constantly evolving on uh, on each front, right? Okay. So it takes time. Right, right. Um, so were, were there any days where you know, you had things, it's like, why am I doing this? Or how the hell do we solve this problem? Um, I bet there was a few times. Can you remember any times when that, when that happened? Oh, that, that was like that, that happened all the time on a, on a daily basis. Like, yeah, we, we would shoot like a, a after we figured out all the stuff we needed for proper filming, right? Then we said, okay, now we have all the buildings built. Let's spend two months getting all the VFX shots. And every day we would stumble upon a problem <laughs> that we didn't uh, anticipate, right? And then we would have to figure it out. We would break miniatures every day because they weren't like built really really well you, you know it's just mostly cardboard and uh, plastic stuff and right. you know uh, ready ready-made pieces from computers and stuff so it was like yeah they would break all the time you would have to or let's just glue say them. you're doing a 12-hour shooting day yeah and then like after 10 hours you want to relax have a beer and then you suddenly move a miniature and oh. then you have it all over again the no. next day no no we also, uh, but uh, the, the, the fun part is uh, when we had those uh, 40 days of shooting uh, miniatures, uh, each day we crashed a miniature or a like a building or a mm. car prop. So we had Sandrino, uh, uh, this third guy, right. and he was just constantly fixing them, right? <laughs> we were shooting and just like, here, this is here, this is this, we need to fix that for tomorrow. Awesome. So he was yeah. just constantly fixing things, right? right. Because like, we did not have time, like, we were just like under stress. That, that sounds like hardcore stress. Wow. Wow. Hey, you know what the best thing it was? Every time we filmed something, it was summer because summers were free from our work, from our job, right? right? So like it was unbearably hot every time we were filming something. For so for example, all these things with miniatures, these two months of filming, like add to that a lot of heat in the room. Right. Under under all these lights and, and stuff. We were and always we were, naked. Yeah, we were always like <laughs> just in our <laughs> boxer shorts. Wow. Uh, that sounds very interesting. Um now I had a look. I think you've won was it seven awards and eight nominations? Because I understand the film's still on the film festival circuit at the moment. So is that right? You've got seven, seven nominations and eight seven, awards. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I understand. Obviously, the film's still on, on the film circuit at the moment. Um, I actually saw one of the documentaries where you were actually in Los Angeles and you got invited into a practical effects legends studio in his house, and you were actually able to hold. All the all the, the the models from Blade Runner and um, you've seen things from Alien and all, all these classic films. So, were there any um, people who actually shown the films who you looked up to and you're really proud that they actually saw your film? Yeah, that that was like the best part of our trip uh, because we went to LA to attend the festival. That was like okay. the main the main reason to to go. But before we went, we said like, oh, why don't we contact some people who you know who are in the industry, the legends. 
and uh, we were really surprised when some of them answered and said like, yeah, let's meet, which was, which was like amazing, yeah, I mean, yeah. to like, these guys invite you to their studio and show you around. Awesome. So we met like a couple of them, like uh, Alec wow. Gillis, who was uh, working on, he, he's into prosthetics and, and animatronics. Right. His yeah, studio yeah. did like uh, alien, alien films and predators That's and stuff. That's awesome, brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, then uh, the Skodek brothers. And right? these, right. Guys, these, these guys have like three Oscars. They did like the Terminator 2, they did Aliens, wow. they did Titanic, Titanic yeah. uh, they did everything with James Cameron. So mm. they're like spe special effect geniuses, right? And here we were, you know, sitting with them in, in the studio. Yeah. And they were making us margaritas and yeah. they like, really like, so how did you do this? And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Let so me tell you. Like this. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's quite good. Yeah, it's really because, good. Yeah, because like, they, it's on the level that we did, right? Right, amazing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. The the good thing is that all these guys are geeks. You can right. connect with them on uh, that level. Right, that must have been amazing to have those legends sit there and appreciate your film in front of you. Yeah. We heard some James Cameron stories, but we're not allowed to tell them. But a lot of well, James Cameron stories and David Fincher stories as well. So yeah. I'll be getting those stories out to you. Briberies on the cards. Don't worry, listeners. I'll be getting those stories out to these two guys. <laughs> um, one of the things, um, I've obviously after what you've just said now, what would be the proudest moment that you've had connected to this film? You know, whether it's been it's an award or um, someone who's seen the film, what would be the thing that stands out as the proudest moment um, for this film for you guys? Uh, I had a, a, actually a pretty proud moment when we were watching the film for the first time on a big cinema screen in LA. Mm. That was the first time for us. And you could see the beautiful grain structure, you, you could see the... I mean, it is a, a movie made for the big screen. Uh, all those um, uh, uh, like um, uh, city shots and uh, those big little big. details, intimate details, they, they look amazing on the big screen. Yeah, but, right. so, but it was funny, we didn't know we were making, I mean, you know you're making like a really absolutely. epic looking film, yeah. we tried to do that, but we didn't know how it will look I on mean, the big we were screen. just watching like on a screen like this, right? Yeah, so. we're watching it on our computers all the yeah, time, you know, so. <laughs> Seeing it like that in for the, the first time in the cinema, in the proper yeah, cinema. it was like I, I really had a feeling that I was watching for the first time, yeah, which I mean, is uh, an amazing that. experience, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the the thing is, there were other couple of uh, there were like uh, six, seven, eight other movies in the block with our film, right? Uh, I think our film was the the last one, or mm -hmm. the yeah. So we saw all those other sci-fi films, and then when we saw Slice. I was like, oh my god, this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> it really stands out. Yeah, well, all the other films were, uh, they had like a lot of CGI in, in yeah, it, right? Yeah. So our film stood out because of that. Right. And the story was yeah. quite simple, but very well told. So it's like this nice little gem. Yeah, exactly. It is a gem. So, so well about your, your work. Here, no, I, I don't feel it. Uh, no, 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 no. But I, I don't have like a feeling that it's um, you know, uh, our film now per se. I, I have a feeling that it has a life of its own right now. Uh, it's already done, right? It's out there in the world. So I'm just like appreciating from a fan perspective. Yeah. Well, I think once um, once people see this film, once it's out on general release, because I know it's as I said, I know it's out on the just on the festival circuit, but our. I can almost guarantee it. Once people see um, this film, they'll see what what quality is, how much work's gone into this to this film, and I think uh, I think people are going to be surprised because it, it is awesome. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Exactly. Um, 
my next question is um, it's more of a just more advice from you guys um, when I was younger I remember the documentaries that um, Industrial Light and Magic put out after George Lucas and those guys put out after the Star Wars original trilogy was finished um, um, showing actually how they did those effects and how they used old model kits and tanks and cars and, and, and things to make um, make all the spaceships and everything that you know old shampoo bottles and things now I remember in the early 80s when all my friends saw those we just because we, we used to build model kits we just destroyed all our kits just kit bashing um, to make you know spaceships but obviously in those days you still couldn't um, really film things but the technology that's around now for, for um, budding filmmakers is light years ahead um, but if kids want to still go and, and make um, films the old school way with practical effects you know with in camera um, um, lighting etc what advice would you give practical advice would you give to people who want to go that direction because um, obviously the, your films are going to be really inspiring your documentaries but what would be the, the, the main advice that you would give to young people who don't have a lot of money who want to make films and, um, and have a dream to do it what advice would you give them well, that's that's one of the reasons why we do so many uh, behind the scenes videos, right? Yeah. Because we want to show our process and show that it's like possible, even if you're in a garage and you have, you know, just a just glue and paint. So yeah, the advice would be like watch a lot of making of videos, like from because we learned a lot of stuff from watching these things. From you know, you buy a DVD and you watch how they did it. Like you have to read between the lines, though. They don't. They're not very. They don't explain everything, yeah, of nice. course. But you, you know, pause a frame and look what they have in a room, what kind of lights they use, stuff like that. So, just like research as much as you can, and then get and, your hands dirty and try to enjoy the process. And because yeah. there's gonna be a lot of process, yeah. <laughs> years of process. I can imagine absolutely years. But it always looks. I mean, I watch those um, the more recent industrial light and magic documentaries. And geniuses that those guys in you know in, in CGI undoubtedly are. They just look so bored so behind the computers. Those old practical effects guys, you know Dijkstra and Doug Trumbull and those guys, getting down and dirty with all the modelling clay and the plastic and the glue. They look like they're having so much fun. And you know at the end of the day, you know you you can you know that's half of what it's about. You know you just got to enjoy what you're doing. And I think. It's a primal thing, just getting your hands dirty, making things. Uh, and I'll have to add one practical advice. Buy good tennis shoes, like really comfortable. <laughs> I believe the Jordans, because there is a lot of walking and like oh, moving through buildings. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it's um, it, uh, your feet are, are getting hurt a lot, <laughs> right? So yeah, so good shoes. <laughs> well, I'll put that on the list then, so we shall have a, um, an Ariflex camera, modeling putty, and eight pairs of Nike Air Max. Um, another thing I was, now I know obviously it was a Kickstarter, but with regards to the budget, and obviously you don't have to discuss the budget, but did the film actually come in cheaper than you thought it was going to be, or was it uh, more, more, a lot more expensive than you, than you imagined when you, when you started the film? It's so hard to cal calculate, you know, because it was stretched over these four years and we, before Kickstarter we were spending our own money just for, you know, uh, just buy some paint here, buy some gas here, you know, and just we didn't um, keep track of it. The amount of money b b for the Kickstarter uh, isn't basically budget, it's just yeah. like, uh, like, you know, pocket money, pocket, yeah, you know, yeah. pocket money. so you can't consider that a budget. After right. Kickstarter, 
it, there definitely was a budget, but not that amount that people think, because if you get $80,000, you cut that in half, right? Right. Then you have your Kickstarter budget, then you spent a couple of thousand on some uh, new gadgets. Yeah, we bought these, uh, you know, 3D printers and uh, sliders, kind of uh, equipment that we needed to, to make, to make it better, with, uh, yeah, yeah right. to, to step up a new level. And okay. then you have, we're talking maybe about $30,000 production budget yeah, that's right. what you have in the end and that's what basically our budget was yeah, right let's say, yeah. let's say which is not a lot of money okay. 100 shooting days and uh, <laughs> yeah and yeah i was wondering about the um the camera i don't know if you're aware i did um some of the, some of the score on the um the blade runner short film tears in the rain and i think the director on that film used a camera called i think it's called a red um, which is quite a high-end uh, from what i understand digital camera they use um, is, that, is that the name? I think that's what it is. So what um, what did you use on yours? Uh, we had a we had a Blackmagic uh, cinema camera, oh, which is right. way cheaper than a red camera. So right. this is something uh, we can like uh, um, propose to starting filmmakers to buy a simple, for instance, Blackmagic Pocket 4K cinema camera, which right. is maybe two thousand bucks. Okay. But you get you get the picture of an Ari Alexa, which costs like thirty times more, right? Sixty thousand okay. dollars. Yeah, or a red, which is uh, insanely expensive if you are a crot. You you can't afford yourself a red camera. I mean, I know Americans can't, but we cannot. <laughs> we can maybe afford red batteries, and that's it. So Black Magic obviously was the way for us because for two thousand bucks you get perfect image, and now you you get a six K image. Oh wow, that's it's awesome! Crazy the amount of detail you get. Right. right? Uh, so um, obviously buy a black magic camera yeah, and rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, awesome. You heard it here, kids. What you need is a black magic camera. Okay. Um, looking forward now, in ten years, what would you hope the legacy of your film would be for future filmmakers? Um, I've got my ideas. What you know, looking at your film, what it possibly would be. But what would you hope it would be for people in the future looking back at your film? Well, a nice thing is like the film didn't come out yet, but uh, already we are getting some, uh, j just based on the videos we put out about our process, we are getting some feedback from people like, oh, you inspired me to do this and you inspired me to start building models. So it's really nice. Even now, something is a, a little bit happening. You know, it's nice to get that kind of feedback. So in 10 years, if, you know, if even more people hear about it and see it and get inspired, that would be like amazing, yeah. But I also think it, it, it will be just only a part of a bigger legacy because we're now preparing our feature film, which is also Slice of Life. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it will be a feature. The story is going to be different, but the world, the setting is going to be pretty much the same. Obviously, we're going to end up our game. But uh, the start is going to be really cool. So I, I think we will consider the short film like a start for a much bigger legacy. Yeah, I think the slice wow. of life legacy. Oh, that's great! So you so you make a full length version of slice of life, or in, in some kind of some kind of fashion. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cannot wait to see that. Okay, well, we've come towards the end of the interview now. It's been absolutely brilliant to have you guys on. Thanks for coming on Underground Hardware. Um, is there anything you want to say or anyone you want to shout out before um, before I let you go? Well, I would like to point out that uh, when we do the feature-length film, we will still do it with miniatures, which is like oh. uh, very important for us. You know, we, even if like somebody asked us, if you get a dream budget, you know, millions of dollars, would you would you change the process? Would you go with CGI or stuff? And we're like always we always say like, nah, you know, just more just, miniatures, just more miniatures, <laughs> more tennis yeah, yeah. shoes. 
Yeah, we kind of film that's that's our kind of thing, and we like the the visuals of it. We like the look, the feel of, of, of what you what you can get with miniatures. So we would definitely like to keep that aesthetics. We we like filmmakers, for instance, as Tarantino, as Wes Anderson. They have a, a pretty specific visual style yeah. regarding their films, and it's obviously because of using miniatures. Yeah. So this is also something we would like uh, uh, be part of our identity, I guess. Yeah. I yeah. mean, because in the end, it's film history. And right. we just want to be part of that film history, right?
Basta crederci. Basta crederci. Sta a te sapere come interpretare la frase. Puoi crederci o caderci. Sopra il morbido puoi atterrarci. L'importante è che poi non ti atterri. Il ragionamento ormai minimi termini. Vivi di sogni, ma non li interpreti. Respiri gas.
title of that track. That was by Jerzyli Boutingon. I better pronounce that correctly with his track, Chiba City Blues. Prior to that was Forest with Aero 404. And the one before that was The Mighty Irving Force with Sewer Wars. Um, thanks for the interview earlier with Dino and Luca from Slice of Life. Nice bunch of guys, and I wish them all the best for the future. Um, thanks also for all the underground artists that have given me permission to play their music today. I'll post all the links and the links to the film in the description box. Um, now we're on the home stretch of um, this first episode of Underground Hardware, so let's get on with it. The next load of tunes.
Love it, love it. Those two tracks. Uh, the first one was of the mighty JK47 with Case. I'll be interviewing him hopefully in the next few months and having him on Underground Hardware. And the last track was from Vector7 and a track called Militech. Finally, the last track today is a track called Blade Runner's Kyoto by an artist called Human Factor. His name is Antonio Hondago and apparently he's a Spanish farmer. So I'll play it. It's an absolutely beautiful piece of music. So I hope you can stick around to the end. So I'll catch you all later on Underground Hardware and stay safe out there. Signing off.